City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. Welcome to part two of Inside the Hive to finish out the regular season. After this podcast, me and Chase are turning strictly to the draft show. The All Hornets NBA draft show is going to return. We've been sitting on our big boards, on our scouting reports, our rankings. Uh, we've been sitting on them for months now. We are itching to share them with you guys. Um, but before we do that, the third annual end of season awards for the All Hornets Podcast Network. Uh, third, third time we've done this. Uh, the categories are as follows. Uh, dunk of the year, assist of the year, win of the year, loss of the year, the Dion Waiters Award, so basically uh, someone who gets hot, Apex Mountain, so who, which players had the best kind of season of their career, worst moment in the season, and MVP of the season. Chase, take us through the awards. Where do you want to start? We'll start at the top here. We're trying to end this season on a positive note. So we'll get we'll start it off here with probably the most exciting, the most fun award to give out here, which is best dunk. Uh, mm-hmm. it, I, in the past seasons, this was a really, really difficult one to decide. Uh, it, it ended up being more difficult than, you know, I thought it would be or it, in comparison to the last few years with the number of players that are not present uh, on the team currently that were uh in these dunk of the year lists, but we had quite a few to choose from here. Should we, should we run through the nominations before we fill in the listeners on what we decided here? Absolutely. Run through the nominations. And I, I do encourage you try find these dunks because they're, they're fun to rewatch to go back and, and revisit. Uh, obviously this is a podcast or a video if you're watching that. Uh, but yeah, go find these, but yeah, run, run through the list of, and, and I want to see some of your best, Eric Collins uh, or Dell Curry play by play for describing these dunks and, and how they happened. <laughs> I, I don't know if I could ever live up <laughs> to that expectation of being a 10th as good as Eric and Dell are at, at matching the excitement of these dunks uh, with their calls. But the first one that we've got up here is the Kai Jones reverse dunk. Uh, this is from a game against the Wizards, November 20th, 2022. So a very long time ago uh, at this rate. Uh, but this was the reverse dunk he did in transition mm-hmm. while I think that there's 629 left on the clock when he throws it down here but it was still a close game at this time so he was not it was not his you know the standard reverse dunk Denny Avdia was kind of like right behind him but I mean he took off from like two steps outside of the restricted area did a you know like an up and under reverse and threw it down back over his head at a critical moment of the game uh, definitely a worthy submission here the second one that we're going to get to is the Bryce McGowan's poster, which actually happened pretty recently. Uh, it was in the game against the Bulls. He dunked all over Nikola Vucevic, who, uh, shout out to Vuce, he actually played all 82 games this year, was the oldest player uh, in the league to play all 82 this year. So. Oh, yeah, Vuce, I didn't know that. Yeah. No, I know, good, good for him. It was a, it was a cool, cool stat, uh, despite the fact that he got absolutely posterized by McGowan, Bryce McGowan's a couple weeks ago. But, uh, I mean... My personal opinion, Bryce McGowan's is going to be doing a lot of that here in the future. But uh, next submission, the Mark Williams uh, block on Trey Young at the three-point line at the end of the game. Steals the ball, hits a Eurostep dunk in transition. Basically, like, encapsulated the excitement that everyone had for Mark Williams at the time. It was a breakout moment, right? It it wasn't just – the dunk itself isn't special, but it was a close game. 
you know, he just switched on to Trey, blocked his three-point shot, and then got the ball in transition and did the Euro step dunk. And I think you have to capture that sequence as part of the dunk because it was a breakout moment. It was a big moment uh, in a meaningful game, a meaningful moment on one of the best point guards in the lead, which is why I think it has to make our shortlist, not because of the dunk itself. I think that prior context is important. Completely agree. The, the whole two-way sequence is what yeah. really makes that dunk. And the dunk is kind of capping off the, the whole highlight itself. Uh, and then, I mean, the end is really just Dennis Smith Jr., just himself. Like any over, dunk, any dunk that again. he did really like would be good enough to be on this list as at least the nomination, if not the winner. Uh, the, the two that, or the three, I should say, that stick out most to me is the dunk on Andre Drummond. That came uh, against the Bulls earlier in the season. Uh, like the high, the combination of like verticality, how far away he is from the hoop, the contact he takes, like he basically pushes Andre Drummond backwards in the air and then dunks like full extension of his arm, like over him, like over his shoulder, right near his head. So sick. And then the next one is when Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, kind of forced Max Struess into an early retirement or what should have been an early retirement, like came down the lane, rose up, just punished him, like pushed it all over his head. Eric Collins's call for all of these were spectacular, but that one was probably my favorite of anyone. Uh, and then one that was I th- was actually a little bit of a sleeper. I thought it wasn't necessarily something that I've seen, you know, like a bunch of Hornets accounts like repost this dunk or something like that. Uh, and it wasn't on the short list that we had originally when the, uh, we were gathering for these awards, but it was a game against the Detroit Pistons. Uh, February 3rd, 2023, uh, he dunked on Isaiah Livers off of like a handoff. He pump faked, hesitation, got him on his hip, jumps from like outside the restricted area and just dunks all over him like he did in every other one of these. And then he did like a cool like one-handed like swing on the rim and then like sprinted back into getting into defense. So I thought that was a a cool one as well. Um, But what what of these nominations was was your favorite here that you, you picked for dunk of the year? So I do think with Dunk of the Year, the ones that stick in your your brain and the first ones you think of have to like they have to be in the running, right? Because they've lodged in your brain for a reason. And the ones that did was the Kai Jones reverse, because I thought honestly, I thought that was the dunk that was gonna get him the dunk contest this year. I thought that that was it, that's the moment he's in. He still should have been in, in my opinion. Uh I hope for, hopefully he will be next year. Um the other one for me, of all the Dennis Smith Jr. dunks, it was the one on Andre Drummond. And I think that was the most viral moment like across NBA where I saw like other, you know, non-Hornets people tweeting about that, linking that. Um, so for my, I'd probably come down to those two and I would probably lean towards the Dennis Smith Jr. on Andre Drummond because when I thought of dunk of the year, that's the first one that came into my head and I could remember it really vividly. And for that reason, I'm going for Dennis Smith on Andre Drummond. That was mine as well. My, my second, hey. I, I came up with two options. My second one was the the dunk on Isaiah Livers because of yeah. like the hesitation move was sick. He got him on his hip. He rose up through the contact. The swing afterwards was cool. Sprinted right back to defense like it was just a normal part of his day to dunk on somebody's head. And like, I mean, it basically is for Dennis Smith Jr. is what we're gathering here. Uh, Brett Usher actually posted a three minute long dunk reel. Uh, of Dennis Smith Jr., which you and I both used to get some of these uh, for this oh, award. Yeah. So 
shout out to Brett also. But for anybody that's watching, just go to Brett's Twitter, uh, Brett uh, or uh, at Usher NBA, and you'll find it up there. It is like it is an incredible three minutes. Is one of the most like you know, and people aren't going to talk about the the year that the Hornets had in terms of like highlights and stuff like that. But you would not think that all these happened this season based on the, how things have gone for, for us Hornets fans, but they definitely did. And Dennis earned the, uh, the best dunk award and many of these nominations as well. Absolutely. All right. We are on to assist of the year. There are not as many of these again, as there normally are uh, in past years due to, Lamelo playing 36 games, uh, yeah. and he is the he's the guy that puts up a lot of these highlight reel worthy assists. So, he also dialed it back a little bit, I think, with Steve Clifford. You know, some of the crazy passes that we saw. I don't think Steve Clifford was was loving some of those because of the turnover risk. So I definitely feel like when I was looking through, he dialed back his uh, some of the uh, the difficulty. Uh, rating on some of his passes this year yeah like that full court uh one-handed like yeah. underhand pass he threw a couple of years ago that that just isn't isn't nope. gonna fly under steve clifford unfortunately and he i mean he's good enough to successfully complete those passes but not gonna happen uh very often uh as long as clifford's the coach i think but the nominations or nominees for assist of the year is first one obviously we got to get Lamelo in here somehow even if he can't be all of them like he normally is is a wraparound pass to Jalen McDaniels former Hornet Jalen McDaniels uh, for his 1,000th career assist. Uh, I mean it's I, I'm gonna I'm gonna get it in now. This is the winner of this category as well. It's easily the best pass that's made in this list. I think uh, the significance of it being his 1,000th career assist. Lamelo is was the fourth youngest player to record a thousand total assists in his career, yet another historic milestone. He didn't have much time to, to set any of these milestones or achieve anything like that this year. But of course he's still good enough to do things like that and become one of these players that's etching himself into history. Even if he's very limited due to health, the next one on the list is Lamella lobbing one up to Kai Jones in a game against Denver on December 18th. Uh, that one's comes off of a steal from Kai uh, and then any Kai Jones assist could be nominated for this because the strict rarity of them over the last two years, I think, makes them, makes the fact that they are worthy of being on here whenever one is able to happen. Or just any assist from Kai Jones or from Lamelo to Kai Jones in general also would apply because if you're re- being realistic, 90% of those uh, are probably going to be lobs anyway. The last nominee... PJ Washington on the ground versus the Utah Jazz. He basically like loses the ball or gets it stolen from him, steals it back while he's like full all fully laying on the ground. And then I mean, I guess he pat like does he lift the ball off the ground to pass it over, or he kind of just like shuffles it to he does Dennis like a one-handed scoop pass. Right. Like I'm not quite crazy. sure if the ball really ever left the so, ground. I don't know if it touched the ground, but let's see the hit. No, it didn't. The ball never touched the ground. So he threw a one-handed scoop pass with his right hand while fully out on his on his chest. He's fully stretched out. He grabbed it with his right hand and, and kind of flicked it round to Nick Richards, who was like under the basket for a dunk, which like, it was a pretty insane pass. And I want to say with that pass, I was watching that game live and I was, this was towards the end of the year, I believe. Um, this was in the one of the Utah game, 11th of March. I was watching that live and I made a note of the game, the time and the possession because I knew when I saw that, I went, that's 
that's one for end of the year for assist of the year. And I made a note of that to go back and include it because you're not going to find that highlight anywhere on Twitter. This is not something that got seen a lot, but it was actually a sneaky good pass. And Chase, this would be in the running for me with Lamella Ball, for me personally. I have to say, like the Lamella Ball was great, but I just think this is a really unique pass that you don't see very often. And you, you have to see it to appreciate it. So um, if, if you wanted to link you to the pass, because it's hard to find, I can send you the link because I had to go searching on NBA.com stats. It is, yeah, it's, it's from the March 11th game uh, against Utah. So if you want to look up like PJ Washington steal uh, and then Nick Richards dunk assist PJ Washington in the play-by-play, you yeah. will find it there. But other than that, it's, it's not it's not getting any You're easier than that. It. So there's a, there's a lot of steps to be taken here to find this one. But I, I agree that it's definitely – uh, a worthy submission, but yeah, I, I already, I already spoiled it. The Lamelo assist uh, for his 1,000th career assist is my winner. Uh, I mean, the, he is uh, the clip before or the beginning of the clip where he's dribbling up the court. John Conter is just like fighting for his life just to stay in front of Lamelo and give any sort of resistance to him on his drive. He crosses over like twice. He starts a behind the back. He does like a between the legs hesitation, and then finally just blows right by him on his way to the rim. Uh, completely all this is all with like one hand picks up the ball like like a 360 with the ball the underneath the rim and kicks it out to Jalen McDaniels who he absolutely could not see with his own two eyes he just knew he was there uh, it was a perfect pass right in the shooter's pocket obviously yeah. Jalen McDaniels hit the shot because it, it ended up as an assist so I'll concede because uh, you know he I'll concede the, the I'll significance concede of the moment as well is really yeah. like the fourth youngest player in NBA history to record a thousand assists while injured is, a lot. Yeah. Of time. While, while <laughs> injured. Yeah. Like yet to play more. I think he played 75 games uh, last season, which is the most in his three years. Like that's, that's the, he's the real deal. Like I think we not necessarily forget it or get lost in it, but this year, especially it's been hard to to think positively and, that is certainly one way to do so. So Lamelo is legitimately one of the best passers in the entire NBA, and by the end of his career, maybe one of the better passers that the game has like ever seen. So it'll be it'll be fun to watch this continue to develop, and how many of these uh, end of year assist awards he ends up actually winning by the time he is he's done. I think you could bet on like the Lamelo ball to lead the league in assists. You could probably throw a bet on that for like the next ten years, and it. At some point, you might win, and it might hit. Like that's how I kind of feel with it. Oh yeah, absolutely. You, if you could do that and just be like, let this ride for the next decade, like that, yeah. there that would absolutely hit at some point. I feel I'd feel confident in that as well. All right, are we done with the uh, assist of the year? I think so. Let's uh let's move on to some of the games here. Win of the year. There weren't many. Okay, let's just be honest. There weren't many. There were but, exactly 27 of them. So. <laughs> uh, but there were some there were some peak moments which and this is the this is the fun bit. This is the bit where we get to revisit those brief epiphanies in time where at the end of the game you are filled with endorphins of enjoyment from watching the Hornets win. Um so yeah, let's, let's chase run us through the the nominees here. Um, let, 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 we we could touch a little bit about some of the kind of the scores and why why we feel each of these stood out as kind of key wins. All right. So the first nominee here, we got three of them, is the Golden State Warriors win. This one happened way back in October of 2022, October yeah. 29th. Back in the, the time six, of there was hope. 
Yep, the sixth game of the season. So the, I, d- just to put it into perspective for how far back we were digging for some of these, this is one of the ones that we came up here or came up with here. The Hornets beat the Golden State Warriors in overtime, 120 to 113. At this time, they were three and three on the season. Uh, at that point, you know, we, we thought we didn't think things were going to be great, but we thought we might be okay. We, thought, we, recorded, we thought it might be okay. We recorded a podcast after this game, and I remember you talking specifically, being like, "Steve Clifford, man, he's going to find a way for this team to to be competitive." Like, and and that was like there'd already been injuries at this point, so yeah, Lamelo um, was already hurt. Lamelo was out. Was already hurt. Terry Rozier was out. Cody Martin was out. So we, Gordon Hayward was out. Gordon, uh, Gordon Hayward played in the Warriors game. Gordon Hayward. Oh played. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but they're already missing your your starting backcourt and basically Cody Martin, your sick your, your sick man. Um, and to get this win against these Warriors, you remember at the time, like we did not know the Warriors were going to be the kind of team they were. They were coming off the championship, and you know they this wasn't one of the games where Andrew Wiggins was not around. They had everybody. They had the full gang playing. And it was in Charlotte early in the season. And atmosphere was incredible. I remember watching it on the game. PJ Washington had 31 points. Um, Gordon Hayward had 23. Jalen McDaniels had a nice game off the bench. 12 points, 11 rebounds. Dennis Smith Jr., 13 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists. Almost had a triple-double. And he was stepping into start. And this was like one of the first of Dennis Smith Jr.'s coming out games. Um, it was just a, it was a great win. There was big overtime moments against a great team. And that was probably the, the peak of the season. Like where you could feel best about the team was probably at that exact moment. No, I mean, other than when they were two and one after three games, uh, this three and three point was the last time that they were 500 or even approached having a winning record after that. It was, I mean, immediately following this game, they wanted an eight game losing streak and then lost. Uh, or they went one and 11 in the following 12 games. So very quickly went downhill. And I, I remember the podcast you referenced too. We, it, uh, uh, everything that we said, probably that was like a positive thing. I would bet that almost all of it went wrong uh, within like a week after, after we said that. So uh, there was definitely high times in Charlotte uh, or about as high as they got this year. Uh, anyway, for that one, uh, the second one is against the Milwaukee Bucks. In this game, the Hornets actually set an NBA record for points in a quarter with, or they tied the NBA record with 51 points in the first quarter and set their own franchise record. Yeah. Uh, obviously, an ex- explosive performance. It was the first quarter of the game, too. So you had half a hundred after 12 minutes on, at the time, the Bucks were 25 and 13, like one of the best teams in the league, still one of the best teams in the league even now as the playoffs are rolling around, you won that game by 19 points, 138-109 after that first quarter. They still managed to outscore the Bucs in every other quarter after that too. So they did not let up after that 51-point first quarter. Terry Rozier had 39, easily Terry's best game of the year. Mason Plumlee had 17-15. Lamelo had 24 and 12 assists. PJ had 23 points. JT Thor had 10 points off the bench. Uh, anybody that played significant minutes contributed uh, offensively and defensively all around, just like one of the most well-played games of the season scored 138 points, obviously. A rare Cody Martin that game, helps. played 22 minutes. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, that was one of Cody Martin's only appearances of the season. He had four points, four rebounds, and three assists. So, I mean, in terms of like a full stat sheet, that's probably 
I guess would be his best game of the year. He scored nine points against Toronto uh, a couple weeks after that. But I mean, really, that was like Cody's most complete game of the year. And I believe Giannis was, was benched in that game because they were basically like so far out of it. Yeah. And for like a, a game where Giannis played single figures, he was only kept, sorry, a, a double figure minutes. He was only kept under 10 points in single figures twice all season. Once against Charlotte and then also once against Atlanta where he went three for 10 of 35 minutes and finished with seven points. So you're talking about locking down, you know, probably arguably the best guy in the league. Great win. Absolutely. In the middle and... of a horrendous stretch, if you remember as well. Like the, there was no signs of life. This was like in the doldrums of terrible Hornets play where the, the offense was terrible and all the shooting variants just came back in their favor in, in literally one quarter. Yeah, I mean, uh, before that, they had gone on a three-game losing streak. They had won like three or four games in the last month and a half. So... It definitely served as a as a good you know mo- momentum, a good emotional win for the team there to get kind of rebound a little bit. Uh, our last nominee or nominees, I guess, a two for one here is essentially ending the Dallas Mavericks season uh, in in late March a couple weeks ago. Uh, that was so awesome. I believe at the time they were when the the first game that the Hornets played against the Mavericks here at the end of the season, which was March twenty fourth. Going into that game, they were fourth or fifth in the West. By the time they had lost the second game on March 26th, they were out of the play entirely. So, and then a, a week or two later, Dallas was tanking the end of the season so that they could keep their top 10 pick, not have to give it to the Knicks, just to, even if they made it through the play and probably lose in the first round because their season was not going well in really any way on the court or off the court. Uh, but I, and a lot of that can be attributed to these two losses to the Hornets. Dennis Smith Jr. hit a clutch three. The revenge game. You don't forget exactly, that storyline. Exactly. Dennis Smith Jr. revenge game for the team he traded him after his rookie year. Yep, they, he got to you know get get his revenge for Dallas giving up on him a few years ago. Uh, that that's always great, obviously. And but I mean the thing with these games is they were both like quote unquote close, but the Hornets were like in control and were playing much more of a like competitive game with a Mavericks team that especially in the second game really, really needed to win to like keep their season on, on, on the rails here. But I mean, the Hornets were just, I mean, obviously they won both games. They just outplayed them like pretty much the whole time. Uh, They played good, good basketball on both ends. PJ had 28 uh, in the first game. Gordon Hayward had 22 in the second game. Uh, Luca had 40 in the, the 110 104 loss. uh, But obviously with to no avail uh the the hornets just played very very well and this was a part of their their like positive end of the season stretch here and was definitely one of the more fun things that they did in the year because i I believe gordon hayward said in his post-game interview like ashley shamady asked him like oh is this kind of something you guys look forward to at the end of the year and he was like yeah i can't lie this is pretty fun like yeah getting to like spoil teams seasons absolutely the question is chase which of these three shortlisted is win of the year um i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you what i think and we're, we're gonna spend more time discussing the wins of the years we're not gonna run through the losses in the same detail don't worry we, we know they were painful <laughs> enough once when we don't have to relive all of them but we will touch on them um my vote is going for the milwaukee bucks game one because it was history making with the you know most points in their first quarter tying the record and setting a Charlotte hornets record which i always think is is great 
it was against the arguably like the best team in the league. I think it might even finish with the best overall record in the NBA. So to do that in the middle of like again one of the dark stretches, uh, my vote is going just because the the quality of the win over the opposition. Uh, both Dallas, both uh, and Golden State weren't great in the regular season this year. The Bucks were. Um, so yeah, for that reason, I'm going for the Bucks game. It was history making, and it was over a, a quality opponent. The Bucks game was a close second for me, and for pretty much every reason you just said. But my number one, it, it's the Golden State Warriors win. We thought it was going to be okay at that time, James. We had we did. not a lot of hope, but we had some hope. Some that things would go again, not even well, but that they would just be okay. That we they'd be average. They'd be mediocre, subpar, but. It couldn't. It wasn't even that good, unfortunately. Uh, for, I mean, like I said, from there, after that Golden State Warriors game, eight losses in a row, one and eleven stretch. Uh, they rebounded a little bit, but then after that, they had another eight losses in a row. Well, they won one at least in that one and eleven stretch. That's good, right? Yeah, I mean, hey, it's, <laughs> it's better than zero. These, these, we gotta take. You gotta take what you can get here, obviously, with with how, with what how things went this year. But I mean, yeah, there was just it was just a moment in time literally the last moment in time of this year that we really had any semblance of, you know, a competitive team in terms of win loss record. They obviously played mm-hmm. competitive basketball at many stretches throughout the year, which both nationally and from the fan base in general, I, they probably aren't going to get enough credit for in the, in the long run. But that point specifically, we thought we might have something brewing here until LaMelo came back, but uh, they did not. And then LaMelo came back and left again very soon after that. And then came back and then left again. So, okay, yeah, let's, that, let's that was on. my win of the year. Now now we get to the to the sad parts that we will not spend as much time on because living a bad moment once is bad enough, but do, doing it twice is a little bit uh, masochistic and sad. So we will but not reflection, do that. But reflection. Reflection exactly. can be a good thing. It is Absolutely. necessary to, to you know look back at your flaws and how you can improve on them. So for the losses of the year, I'm going to jump in and, and give you a hand here. Um, we have the double overtime loss to Cleveland. We have the Detroit overtime loss, 1-4-1 to 1-3-4 to, uh, against, the, against the Pistons, uh, particularly in that one, what really hurt. Jalen Duran going for 19 rebounds when Mark Williams wasn't even in the game. That was a, that was a painful reminder of the draft night trade. We also had the season low in points where they scored 82, just 82 points against the Philadelphia, scored 121. That is a 39-point loss. Um, hope had already gone at that point, but it's painful. And we had the 140-95 to 95 loss to Boston. Um, Chase, which of those stands out to you? Which, which of those can give you shivers as you wake up in a cold sweat at night thinking of that moment? I mean, all of them in some way. Uh, but the one that really does it for me is the loss to Boston. Because uh, at that point, again, we lost hope fairly early, but the Hornets were 6-14 and 14 going into that game. So not all was lost yet. Um, but this was kind of a, a proverbial nail in the coffin. Uh, and I, I picked it partly because there's a, there is a silver lining to this one. At the time, it was Jalen McDaniel's career high, 24 points. Not even a Hornet anymore, but at the time, that was a good thing. That was one thing we could draw from that game, uh, and it's important to be able to take one positive thing from from losses like this. 
but yeah, the Hornets gave up 45 points in the first quarter. The Celtics made 10 threes in that stretch, uh, one shy of the NBA record for threes made in the first quarter. Uh, Jason Tatum had 35 in 30 minutes. Uh, Marcus Smart had 22 in a career-high 15 assists, and these Hornets were never competitive in this one. So that one was my loss of the year. Uh, what, what was yours? I'm torn between the Cavs double OT loss where they they literally had won the game if I think PJ Washington had boxed out the guy in the corner who got the offensive rebound and then and then they Cleveland hit a three and I think that that essentially they had the game won and they just like basically fumbled it themselves, which which that hurts when that happens. But I am gonna go for the Detroit overtime loss because yeah, you can argue, oh, it was good for the record and stuff like that. Like at the time, the Hornets were 7 21, Pistons were 8 22. But just watching Jalen Duran, who I was really high on in the draft, go for like seven points, 19 rebounds, three blocks. Um, you know, you not even got Mark Williams in the game. That was just one of the most painful things. And again, they, they had like control of the game. Um, they started overtime well, but ended up losing at 14-17. The defense was just horrendous against a really talentless Detroit team who didn't even have Cade Cunningham at this point. He was already done for the season. So I think I'm just going for that, just for the PTSD memory of, of Durin on draft night, because that was a, a startly reminder uh, for all Hornets fans. Yeah, I mean, I, I will never forget the moment we were doing our draft live stream and everybody was so excited about Jalen Duran and I had to be the no. one to, to be the bearer of bad news. <laughs> I will. Not uh, I think, I mean, in that. hindsight though, I think that's worked out totally fine. Very happy. Well, well uh, it was never, for me, it was never about, well, we can't do this now. It was never about <laughs> Jalen versus Mark. It was about the asset management, but let's, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that when it comes draft time again. All right. We'll, go, we'll knock the other, uh, you know, downtrodden part of the, the award show out here. Worst moment of the season. We could probably have a lot of nominees for this uh, that we did not leave here. Uh, but we're going to r- rattle off five quick ones here. Lamella Ball spraining his ankle on a fan. Uh. Lamella Ball non-contact breaking his ankle uh, at midcourt. Uh, the Instagram post from Robin Hayward regarding the training staff's uh, like management of injuries and whatnot. Uh, the Jalen McDaniels trade, just in general, losing Jalen McDaniels in a year where he was playing really well for the team. And then Cody Martin's one-minute stint uh, where he came on the court, made probably two or three trips worth back up and down the floor, and then came out uh, and sat for a very long time again because... Uh, he just was not healthy this year, and he clearly uh, wasn't healthy in that one game either. Uh, that was the season opener against San Antonio, and then he did not appear again until January 4th. Uh, so, yeah, what was your worst moment of the of the season, James, between those nominees we have there? Oh, gosh, there were only a few moments, right? I, I just had to stop thinking about this too much when I was pulling together. But I think the... Oh, I'm torn between Lamelo. I'll see if you have an opinion here. I'm torn, and I'll lean whichever way you lean between Lamelo Ball injuring his ankle on a fan. I mean, the break was obviously more significant, but just the fact that like the spreading his ankle on a fan when he just come back, he was just playing well, was just the most unluckiest thing ever, which was frustrating uh, for the team for Lamelo Ball. But then also Robin Hayward's Instagram post about how the team were 
making him play through an injury and that it wasn't a shoulder contusion, that he actually had a fracture, just really reflected poorly on the the team, the training staff in the middle of, uh, you know, the team dealing with multiple injuries. And it was def- it's definitely a large part now to the fan base just losing total confidence in the Hornets training staff. Um, I will say both the head coach and Mitch Kupchik today in their ex-interviews had a lot of positive things to say about Joe Sharp and his staff. They are obviously very happy with them, even if Hornets fans are not. Um, I'm, so I'm torn between those two. Uh, can you can you point me in a direction here? Oh, my mine was by far Lamella rolling his ankle on a fan who I get was it barely, was sitting courtside uh, and was barely paying attention to the basketball game and didn't move a muscle. By the way, um, when this whole event was happening, um, that to me just the actual event itself of like how it went down and then just what it represented. Like you said, he had just came back and then something completely random and unlucky that really rarely ever happens and is almost to a T a scene from Curb Your Enthusiasm, Larry David's HBO show. Uh, Like, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but for anybody that doesn't know, there is an old episode where he goes to a Lakers game and sits courtside and Shaq gets up off the bench and is running to go sub in at the scorer's table, but trips over Larry's outstretched leg uh, and hurts himself. Like that is literally, that is literally what happened to LaMelo. Uh, not, not, or not literally, but almost exactly what happened to LaMelo. Uh, just like running along the baseline, chasing a loose ball, steps on a fan's foot the wrong way and just rolls his ankle and misses just as much time as he had missed to start the season after rolling his ankle in the preseason. Uh, weeks of recovery for chasing down a loose ball, by the way, that didn't even change possession. Yeah. So, the, hey, that, that'll that teach the kids to hustle. That I'll, I'll tell you what. You get, any kid that watches that game is like, I'm never going to dive on the floor again. Look what the hell happens when you, when you chase after the ball and sacrifice your body. You, you step on someone's ankle that's not even paying attention. So... I mean, not not really, but I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't blame him if he if he gets a little hesitant the next time he's running towards the stands like that. I concede, I concede, and I'm I'm happy to lean direction for you, so we can we can agree on that one. Lamella Ball rolling his ankle on a fan is the worst moment of the Hornets 2022-23 season, for which there were many nominees. All right, we got two more or three more here. Uh, two more. Uh, you know, not narrative style awards that we should say. I'll, we'll explain the, the Dion Waiters Award and the Apex Mountain Award here before we wrap it up with Team MVP. The Dion Waiters Award is essentially like given to a player who gets hot for a certain stretch that either won't be replicated, has never we've never seen before from that player, or, you know, it's just something that is completely unseen uh, in the moment that it happened and was unexpected. So there, there were a couple nominations for this one. Uh, the Dion Waiters Award, the first one is Suvi Mikhailuk's games versus Toronto uh, a couple weeks ago to end the season. P.J. Washington's career-high 43-point game. James Booknight's uh, t- back-to-back 20-point games versus Oklahoma City and Toronto. And then Bryce McGowan's and Mark Williams' uh, matching 22-point career-high games to end the season uh, against Cleveland. Uh I have my pick. I imagine a lot of the listeners that are hearing this right now have their own pick. Uh, James, would you would you like to, to start us off here for the Dion Waiters Award? The Dion Waiters Award criteria here is important. It's what you don't expect, and it's a it, that that has to be the big part of this. It's like 
it comes out of nowhere and it is like, wow, it is, you know, absolute fire. Um, I think my pick here is going to be, I probably might be the only one who's going to make this pick. I'm going for Svi Mikhailuk because no one could see Svi Mikhailuk becoming the team's best offensive option on the court, like in the last, I mean, I know we said the Toronto games, but like over the last five games, he, you know, he shot the ball really well. People probably didn't even know who he was in the league before he got traded to the Hornets. And I know they were meaningless throwaway games, but if we're talking about the definition of turns up out of nowhere and just starts like putting on a show, I think Svi Mikhailuk defines that perfectly. I've seen PJ Washington score 40 points before. I expect Bryce McGowan to Mark Williams to have, you know, 20 something point scoring nights. Um, you know, James Booknight, we've been waiting a long time to see those offensive explosions. So for me, it's random, but I'm going for Svi, the Ukraine train, as Eric calls him. Hey, I, I'm right there with you. I don't necessarily see uh, 26, 4, and 5 on 10 for 17 shooting being something that happens like super frequently in the rest of uh, Savi Mikhailuk's career. Uh, honestly, he like essentially morphed into like low calorie Gordon Hayward for the last yeah. five to 10 games of the season. Uh, and he, like he, not only the scoring, he had a career high eight assists against OKC. Yep. He had five or more assists in each of the last six games. Like that is a stark shift in play style and production from what we've seen from a guy who is basically regarded as like a pure spot up shooter before well, he got to the Hornets. Last nine games, 17 points, four rebounds, five assists, one and a half steals. And that's 38% from three on 7.6 attempts per game, 45% from the field. Like good efficiency over a prolonged period of time um, with like, he was the best. This isn't like he's getting open looks out here playing like still mellow. He was like the guy handling the ball up against the shot clock and made, made stuff happen. Led Charlotte during that time to, I think what well, they had four wins in those last nine games. So Oh, are we united on a Svimu Kailuk end of year award? Is this happening? I, I think we are. I he he's definitely earned it over this last couple of weeks. There has to Shall be something. Be. There has to be something to memorialize the the contributions he's made to the team at the end of the year. Here, I think the Dion Waiters Award is the the perfect way to do that. What other award is? What other podcast is giving out awards to Svimu Kailuk? Can I just say? So shout shout to all Hornets. Shout to us. All right. Apex Mountain. So this yep. is basically the player that has reached the peak or the apex of, of their career, the apex of their, their they've achieved their peak powers, as, as one might say. Um, not necessarily like this is the best season of their career or like the best that we're ever going to see from them, but just somebody who has gotten to that point and is like, all right, we know what this guy is. He's in his prime now. This is what we can kind of expect from him going forward is this quality of play consistently uh, our nominees for this award are nick richards pj washington and one Savi mikhailuk uh james i can start us off or if you have any uh, strong convictions on this award you can you can get us going here i think this was the hardest award to pick out of all of them um, i agree i agree I you also could, struggled with this because award. of all the injuries you had guys getting opportunities that you don't know they're ever going to get in the rest of their career which is the, the de definition of like having the opportunity to achieve career highs. You know, Nick Richards, 
was a backup for most of the season, but did start. Will Nick Richards ever start NBA games again in the future of the league? Maybe, maybe not. PJ Washington was like, played, uh, I think, in almost all the games. Definitely had his highest career usage. Well, not, not per, scratch that. His rookie year, he technically had had a higher usage, but he played in a lot less games. But he had a, an increased usage, played the most minutes of his career, and was like a pretty much de facto second to third option for the for the whole season. And like a year ago, PJ Washington was coming off the bench. So, and then we talked about Sfi already. I I really struggled. So I, I want to see if you can talk me into one here. I, this is this is for me the the trickiest one. So I guess I'll, I'll rank them in order first. Okay. So I picked Nick Richards, my second player that I considered was V, and PJ was was at the bottom of the list for me. Uh, I actually I think I was very strongly considering Svi, but went with Nick in the end. Uh, the, he's a bit maybe I don't know how, if necessarily anybody else would choose this or if you would, uh, but he's that, like the sneaky winner of this for me. He'll be 26 next season. He is firmly entrenched as the backup center. And though this isn't a bad thing, and I think he's a perfectly fine, capable player and is going to last in the NBA for a long time, he hasn't necessarily expanded his skill set since entering the league as much as he's like cleaned up the rough edges of skills that he already had or people projected him to have as a prospect. Uh, like, again, not a bad thing because he's an impactful player. But I, we might be getting close to, or we might be at the, the this is who he is stage of his career. Eight, 8.6 rebounds in a block per game and 18.7 minutes per game is a pretty good amount of you know opportunity and production for a guy who projects to be a full-time backup uh, as long as he's with the Hornets and realistically as long as he's in the NBA. So I don't know if we're necessarily going to get this level of production and volume again. And I'm not sure how much room we have to expect him to like grow as a player and uh, expand his skill set now now that he's going to be 26. And I think in in this year for the second half of the year he basically split minutes with Mark. Right? They they kind yeah. of played, you know, almost half and half. I think going forward, I, the way I think it will play out is Mark will play starter minutes and Nick will be. I know technically it was like 19 minutes this year, but I wouldn't be surprised if Mark started playing more like 34, 35, and Nick is getting like 12, 13 minutes. So, I, yeah, I... But then there's also part of me is like one injury, and Nick Richards is suddenly a starter, and he's playing like big minutes. But that, you know, you could say that about anyone, but his his path to minutes is really clear on this team. Um, I think I'm going to disagree. I think I am going to go PJ Washington, just because... I don't think he will ever have the same green light and offensive uh, role in any team in the future. I think this is unique because of the injuries. He was asked to do a lot more. The scary thing with this is I do think PJ Washington got better this year and he could continue to do so, which means that he could technically be a better player in the future. But if you look at like the amount of minutes, the games played, the, you know, his stats that his raw stats that he puts up. I don't know if they'll ever be higher than they are right now in the future, just because of the surrounding ecosystem. But it's it's paper thin. Yeah, I mean, he did average fifteen point seven points per game this year. I don't know if he'll necessarily do that again, or would it, uh, exceed that total. But yeah, I, I he was last for me because I think he a he's the youngest of this group, so naturally he 
has more room to grow than either uh, Nick or Svi. But I think if his efficiency rebounds at all, especially from three, he took 5.9 attempts per game and shot a career low 34.8%. Take one attempt away from that per game, basically. Uh, and, you know, with the context that his looks will be more open, they'll be more in rhythm, not having to create so much of his own offense or be somebody that's at the top of scouting reports with so many other players on the team injured. Uh, I think that that could do a lot for him in terms of like his per game production and the, you know, the consistency stuff that people uh, tend to like hone in on with him. Uh, I, I, I think that got a lot better this year anyway, but even as we move forward, I think that that will be something that kind of cleans itself up a little bit naturally. And he's also the best passer of these, these players, which, and easily the best defender, I think of these, of these three players. So he just has a lot more, things that he does that are like really impactful for winning teams. Whereas the other two guys, I think fill fill roles more so. Okay. Final award MVP, which, which would normally be best moment, but honestly, I list the best moments. Like I, I suggest you sit there apart from like some of the wins we've already touched on. And right. I was going to say, it's basically just the best wins because yeah, nothing good happened. Like, in Absolutely. any sort of loss or from like a narrative perspective. Um, MVP of the season. Question, is Mason Plumlee eligible? Yes, he is. First, you can <laughs> have, you can pick whoever you want. You could, you could pick, you could pick Kobe Simmons if you, if you want to, but uh, yeah. No, I, mean, I, I, I joke with Mason Plumlee, but let's be honest, he had a really good season. Like, he was probably, he if like, he played the, the whole year, deadline. he would legitimately be a top three candidate for this award. I, I think he would, but we're, we're not going to go there. No one wants to hear us talk about Mason Plumlee anymore. That's for sure. <laughs> um, the other nominees, Kelly Oubre, PJ Washington, Terry Rozier. Uh, PJ and Terry like the only players on the team who got over 1,600 minutes and played like a good number of games. So if you're doing like the normal, like, oh, you need to play more than 55, 60 games to be... Uh, you know, in a in a uh, running for an award category, it's basically down to those two players. I, I think that's kind of where I lent. It's like, well, I guess it kind of has to be between those two just because of the games. And I don't feel great about it. I think it's really weird because I think technically, like statistically, at a down year. But I think it's Terry's ear, which you can tell from the tone of my voice that I am not thrilled <laughs> about this. Yeah, but, very, very confident in the same. Yeah, I, I, I just think he had to deal with a ch- ever changing role, like from point guard to shooting guard and back all year. He was keyed in on all season. You heard Clifford and Kupchak talk about this, how uh, he actually had like a good year and Steve Clifford liked him defensively. And I, I don't agree with the, the positive defense as much as Steve Clifford seems to, but he really said, you know, considering what he had to deal with, he had a good year. And I think if you were to ask Steve Clifford, who is the MVP of this team, I think he would say Terrorizier. So that's the way I lean, but it seems weird to say that on a down statistical year um, where his limitations seemed more exposed than ever. Uh, but I I just don't know what the other option is here. Um, yeah, that's I, if they hadn't had Terry's ear, I think they would have finished with 20 wins, not 27. Let's put it that way. And I don't know if you could say that maybe about the other players on that nominations list. Yeah, I mean that's that last point especially is actually a very good point. I mean, te- and he definitely did have a down year efficiency wise, but twenty one point one points per game, career high. The only twenty point per game scorer on this team besides Lamelo, who played thirty six games, which I don't think is even enough to qualify for the NBA's uh, like points per game threshold. 
uh, if you just go to like the season leaderboards and whatnot. Also career high 5.1 assists per game by virtue of being the de facto point guard for a lot of the season, even though that's really not his role. And any other number uh, per like per game counting stat stayed pretty much in line uh, with the rest of his career. So he definitely had a down year efficiency wise, the 32.7% mark from three. Uh, I, like as long as he's playing like effective basketball and is like his athleticism hasn't been zapped and he's not 39 years old, I would be surprised if he ever shoots anything close to that low again. Um, uh, this year was a really weird aberration in terms of like four different players shooting well below their three point percentage average for their career. Uh, PJ, Tara Razier, Kelly Oubre, Gordon Hayward, uh, LaMelo obviously is the exception to that with it going the other direction, but pretty much everybody besides LaMelo had a down year efficiency wise. Um, but yeah, not, not V, not V. That is, is very, very true. Uh, as soon as he came to the Hornets, that guy morphed into a different human being, which is good for him. I hope, I hope he makes himself a good chunk of change and gets a long-term deal here this summer. But, uh, as, as much as I, as I like Terry Rozier, one of my favorite players in the NBA, I very strongly considered picking him for this, but I actually didn't. I went with PJ Washington. I'm going to keep it rolling here with the, the PJ praise that we've had going for the last couple minutes here. Uh, he played in 73 games this year, the most on the team, uh, which is an, an admirable feat for, for anybody that played in on the 2022-23 Charlotte Hornets to miss uh, single-digit games. Uh, he averaged a career-high 15.7 points per game. Uh, he's the most versatile defender on the team. He stealing a block per game as well, which – isn't you know that's not a ton of defensive playmaking necessarily, but that's not a threshold that a lot of players cross necessarily. And PJ is one of them, while offering the shooting and shot creating that he showed. Uh, and Hayward actually said it in his exit exit interview. PJ was basically like the glue that held this team together this season. He was the most consistently available high level player on the team, and I think that speaks for a lot. Uh, talking about like this team specifically, who like really really needed that and obviously could have used more of that from their veteran pieces. PJ was really the only one that they got it from uh, in a year where, where LaMelo ball played 36 games. Uh, PJ Washington is my most valuable player for the Charlotte Hornets. I said, I think just down to games played, it was down to those two. It, it makes some sense. The inconsistency is just what hurt, like just came down to for me. I, I will say he had his most consistent stretch as a Hornet, I'd say, in the last four to six weeks of the season. Much like I, I felt the first two thirds of the year was more of the same, like, oh, it was good one day, disappears the next. And and I really felt he had his most consistent stretch towards the end of the year. And if he had his whole year like that, then absolutely he would have been MVP of the team. And, and I'm hoping he's turned a corner there. Um and that was it again, even within, you know, dealing with some of the injuries and having, having stuff run through him more, he actually, he did even better. So uh, I understand, I understand the pick. Um, I respect it. I respect it. I think it's down to those two. Uh, not a, not a thrilling year for MVP of the team. Uh, definitely not. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, Hugo? nine, tw- nine 20 Hugo? point games. Eric? <laughs> yeah. Eric Hugo, Cohen? Hugo is definitely the MVP. Um, Hugo was else? there for all 82. I know that. He Hugo was out there every night. Uh, Eric Collins, he could be MVP of the team. Um, yeah. Joe Sharp, the Hornets head of Hornets training staff. No, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe not this year. 
<laughs> I don't know. Any anyone else out there who could possibly be MVP of the team? I can't think. Uh yeah, yeah I don't know. Victor Wembanyama. I mean, yeah, yeah, we we uh, he'd be MVP every week. Uh, the motivation, the motivation for Victor Wembanyama was the MVP, I guess. Yeah. Okay, well, that brings us to the end of our third annual end of season awards. Hopefully, you laughed. Hopefully, you cried. Um, reliving a little bit of the season. Have to say, Chase, it's a relief. I mean, we've been coming on this every week. We, we did it in the year they won 43. We did it in the year they win 27. Um, it's been a hard slog. I know it has for fans. I'm sure some of you will have stopped watching as much. Unfortunately, we didn't quite have that pleasure. Um, we've been there every step of the way, but I'm, I'm pretty burnt out from watching bad basketball, and I'm looking forward to a break. I can't lie. Yeah, I mean, I... I, I I honestly just like never like truly get sick of it. Like I could, I, if they played 20 more games, I would watch all of them. Uh, whether that's a, a positive personality trait or not, I have no idea. It's probably not. Well, um, you don't have to stay up until half two in the morning to do it. No, that, that <laughs> definitely, that definitely contributes too. So, and, and props to you again for, for staying up, weathering the storm into the wee hours of the night sitting in a in a living room with like a little lit candle and a and a hood over your head like holding it like a like some sort of like old sailor like watching these games at the in the middle of the night while the hornets are down well, 18 the, the points other, the in the other fourth thing quarter is none of the players or coaches want to talk about anything post games after losses that's just the way it is right like it's really oh, yeah. hard to ask good questions cuz all they like after a big win like, you know, you saw after the Dallas games, like the media availability is double in length of time and people are talking and engaging the questions. And after losses, it's just like, I just want to get out of here, man. Like, I don't want to talk about how we've lost, the, you know, the one in 11 games. Like, and our job as media becomes more difficult because the guys just, just don't open us up as much because understandably they're a little bit guarded, more defensive. So um, I'm just looking forward to a fresh start. Uh, next year covering the team hopefully the hex the curse is gone and um i'm i'm super excited for draft season and i think our listeners are going to be too i am very excited for the draft uh we're recording this april 11th a little over a month until the lottery a little over two months until the draft that's a lot of time for us to pump out some some NBA draft content oh, yeah. here, James. And we just had a mock draft drop on All Hornets today as we were recording this. Our first version one of the year, we did all 34 picks. So that we included Charlotte's first second round pick. Um, and I'm not going to spoil who they picked, but please go have a look. We did a Tankleman Sim and we have analysis with every single pick. We've got stats, we've got profile on there. Um, it's a really nice looking piece of, of of work from the All Hornets crew. Shout out to Eric and Israel for helping me put pull that together. So if you want to go check that out, go to allhornets.com and you'll see it on there, the, the mock draft. Go check out that mock draft. There will be more where that came from. We can assure you of that. We got anything else for the for this episode? This is literally the end of the season. Uh, this is other it is now we're, we're we're shifting into summer off season mode. We are, and it's it's been a pleasure. I, you know, coming on talking about this every week during the season is a probably a form of therapy and helps you look back at the, these games in a more analytical view. Um, you know, takes the emotion out of it, and I've I've enjoyed it this year again, even if the games have been tough. 
Um, and I've been really proud of the, you know, our reliability, consistency, and our ability to talk about the team in a, an educated and objective way. Um, so I hope you, the listeners, uh, have enjoyed that too. I hope so. Thank you all for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Uh, as always, uh, why not why not throw in a, a five star review plug here at the end of the season? If you guys sure. like the podcast, please give us a five star review. Uh, we've given the whole spiel about how it actually helps before, so you don't need that, but it does actually help. So if you like it and haven't done so already, five star review if you if you'd be so inclined. And thank you if you already have done so. Absolutely, you stay classy, Hornets fans. Thank you. We'll see you all for the the Hornets draft show here in uh, about seven days will be our next episode so we won't be gone long